Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. What's up, everybody? We are back with another week of the Grizzlies Podcast, Commercial Appeal. I'm your host, Evan Barnes. You probably know me from covering the Memphis football team, but I'm double dipping as your host for the podcast. We are joined by DeMichael, who is your Grizzlies beat writer. And DeMichael, preseason is in full swing. We are getting closer and closer to the tip-off of a new season later this month. Um, Let's get right into it. The Grizzlies, as we recorded, have played two preseason games. Um, Just kind of... uh, what are some of your uh, – well, let's just get into one of the big takeaways. Obviously, Santiago Aldama is going to be a person to watch because, you know, you and everyone else covering the team expects him to be um, the front runner to start with Jaron Jackson Jr. injured. How would you evaluate him so far um, through the preseason? I think he looks confident, you know, Evan, more than anything, which is one of those things, you know, where you say any good basketball player has to have confidence at the NBA level. That's a big difference between, you know, uh, the players who kind of flame out and the players who end up succeeding. And last season, you know, confidence was hit or miss for Santiago Dama. And I remember in, in summer league when I was out in Las Vegas, he talked to me about being more confident as a player. And Taylor Jenkins at media day, he said, what stood out to him? you know, about uh, Santi Aldama. He said confidence. His confidence is there. And you see it not even when he misses shots. You know, there's no hesitation. There's no hitch. There's no, you know, he's not traveling because his feet are shuffling or anything. He's very confident in the moves that he's making. And that's why he started that game against Orlando 4-4 uh, four four from three-point range. And, you know, then he's going off the dribble, making nice moves, making some decent passes as well. I really like what what they've shown from Santi Aldama so far. Uh, The size is, is, you know, the size and just the way he moves, the agility is gift. You know, that's what made him a first round pick. But now he's starting to put together, you know, some of the skillful things in terms of, you know, learning the Grizzlies defensive scheme, being in the right position to get those weak side blocks like a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. Or in his case, being that he's seven feet, you know, just changing the shots and things like that. So I I, I think Santi is off to a really solid start. And if he hasn't solidified that starting four position uh, at this point, he's just getting real close to it. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I think, you know, we mentioned last, you know, last time on this podcast or maybe two weeks ago, I said that if the Grizzlies are starting Santi, it looks more like you're kind of holding down the four instead of maybe taking that all-in approach and maybe putting Brandon Clark in. But he's impressed me. I watched a little bit of that game on Monday, and I was impressed by just how he he said his confidence. He looked more comfortable on the court. He looked like somebody who took what he learned in summer league and is applying it now to the preseason. And I've always said to me, you know, as good as summer league is, 
preseason is really about evaluating the younger players. So it's really, can you do it in a preseason game where, you know, maybe teams aren't playing their guys, but also you're getting a chance to play in a much different NBA vibe than summer league. So I think Santi has really shown that, yeah, he's going to gun for that spot to hold the fort down while Jaron's out. And I think, again, the shooting looks good. Um, his, his movements look better. There were times he looked lost last season, like early in the year last year, um, when I was still covering the team, he looked lost and you could probably attest to that too. When you jumped, uh, joined the beat or took over the beat, uh, he looked out of sorts a bit. Now he's, he's settling in. And I think it's, it's a fascinating development. And again, give the Grizzlies credit. Their player development has been one of their hallmarks since Taylor Jenkins got here. So it looks like they have another winner perhaps in Santi, if he can keep this up through the preseason. Yeah, and that's the key, right? If he can keep this up, because now you 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 worry about consistency. You want to see him do this, uh, not hit five, four or five three pointers. I mean, that's not going to happen. But just be impactful. You know, if he shoots one of five on threes, you want him to be able to get a couple blocks, a couple steals. You know, that's why in, in the story that I wrote at the Orlando Magic game, I kind of alluded to the fact that he had a game in summer league where he had six steals, and he had a different game in summer league where he had three blocks. Now this is a whole different level than summer league but if he's having games like that on the defensive end then you can live with you know one of five from three point one night and you know four or five the next night and things like that overall the grizzlies have three guys on the wing in dylan brooks desmond bain and john morant that are gonna score between 60 and you know 75 uh, points as a trio uh every single night plus your bench production and things like that so uh, I think Santi is is filling in really well, but uh, the Grizzlies have a lot of players though, that seem like they're filling in so well so far, Evan. Definitely, definitely. And it's going to be fun. I mean, that's what, what makes this season so fun is the Grizzlies have had this either you can look at that as a luxury or a dilemma is that they have so many players yeah. on this team that you got to find room to play them or some guys are not going to be able to play much at all. So we'll definitely see how that turns out. Um Kind of off the court, you know, one of the big developments this past week was, and I was kind of surprised by this, Stephen Adams got a two-year extension um, over the last, since we recorded this podcast. Two years, $25 million, so he's on the team for an additional two seasons, you know, beyond this year. Um, Demike Walker, I want to get your thoughts on this, because, I mean, it was kind of surprising because the Grizzlies, when when guys are, you know, on the last year of an expiring deal, um, we've tended to see them kind of trade people away. Um, what do you make of, of the Grizzlies signing Stephen Adams extended? Do you have a story at commercialappeal.com talking about this, too? Yeah, it, it's it's a different day and age now, uh, even with this team, because they're coming off a 56-win season so they're talking about core they're talking about you know retaining players who are important and that was the biggest thing that Zach Kleiman said to me more than anything he said in the offseason is the Grizzlies are going to be willing to pay whoever they want to keep on this roster that goes for any player on this team if the Grizzlies want them it sounds like they'll be here you see Tyus Jones is back you see John Conchar just got an extension you see John Morant just got an extension now you see Steven Adams getting an extension and the thing about the Steven Adams extension is uh, I think we've talked about this before is you had three players who are kind of coming up on that part of their contracts where uh, it's extension time or they're going to be going into free agency next offseason and that's Dylan Brooks Steven Adams and Brandon Clark, three really impactful players on this team uh, last season. And 
if you rank those three in the offseason, uh, quite frankly, a lot of people had those other two guys above Steven Adams in terms of the extension hierarchy. So Steven Adams being the first of the three to get that extension was definitely noteworthy. But I mean, according to everybody in the building, uh, the guy is is a perfect fit here. You know, Taylor Jenkins called him a cultural fit. Uh, the players laugh and joke about, you know, not understanding his his New Zealand jokes and things like that. Uh, and I, I just was, you know, watching the game against Orlando. I mean, uh, you know, the, the the crowd wasn't completely full. So you can hear Steven Adams on the court. And he's he's like this big goofball, Evan. I mean, he's 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 messing with the players on Orlando's team. He's laughing around. And, you know, he got the technical. He got called for a technical and he's just joking about the technical and things like that. Uh, he, he really fits, you know, this young core of, of the Grizzlies. And I remember something else that stood out to me was when he, you know, was benched last season in the playoffs against the Minnesota Timberwolves. When he was benched in that series, the players still valued the fact that he was still around. You you would see them go to him on the bench, you know, when, when they would check out, whether it was Xavier Tillman, Brandon Clark. Ask for pointers here and there. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. You see a lot of times at Grizzlies home games when Stephen Adams is sitting on the bench. You know when the you know Brandon Clark is in playing the five or Jaron Jackson or or someone else. He you can hear him you know screaming out directions. Hey, shift this way, shift that way. Watch this guy. Watch that guy. He's a very important part to what's going on here, and clearly the Grizzlies see the value in that. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting to me with Steven Adams. I mean, he is a character, and and that's one thing I love about him. Like, I think the first the first time you know I was introduced to him was obviously at the at the, the media day, and I made a joke about him being the oldest guy on the team, and he made crack at me he's like, "So you saying I'm old, mate?" Like, he just <laughs> called me out in front of everybody. It was really fun, but it just kind of shows that Steven Adams brings a unique energy. And let's face it, I think the Grizzlies need that veteran presence around this team. They need somebody who's been through playoff wars, who can fit in with the culture, but also give some experience. Like Jaws always benefited from having guys like Jay Crowder and Anthony Tolliver in his year when they were with the Grizzlies. Now, I don't think Steven Adams is that type of guy, but he's played with Russell Westbrook. He's been that guy in the middle who does the dirty work. And I think it's a really good thing when you bring somebody back who just has that veteran presence. Because I think at some point, and this is just my speculation. The Grizzlies can't just be one of the youngest teams in the league anymore. You got to have some guys who are going to be grown up veterans who can kind of mature things a little bit. And also just kind of, you know, be that presence that guys um, can lean on besides job. Because it's, let's, to be honest, it's you, you need that balance. And that's kind of what makes the good teams go to great teams is that makes of veteran and young players. So I think it's an interesting move because, as you mentioned, if you were to ask me who was the priority to re-sign as far as like expiring contracts, Stephen Adams would have been behind Brandon Clark and Dylan Brooks. Um, and so I'm curious because, again, if you look at the numbers of the contract, Stephen Adams is going to be taking a slight pay cut come 23-24. So it gives the Grizzlies maybe more flexibility because, you know, they're going to have to decide what to do with Brandon Clark and Dylan Brooks. And of course, looming next summer is Devin Bain likely getting a, a maximum extension. So it's a pretty friendly deal, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see kind of, you know, um, how Steven Adams continues to grow with this team. Because I think it's a really, it's a solid move, and I think it brings that veteran experience back. So um, that's really cool. 
let's get into um, something you kind of noticed. I think you wrote a story about John this week, John Morant, talking about his defense and kind of uh, where he can take the next step there. But before we get to Jock, what did you think about the GM survey that came out this week? The annual NBA general manager survey, they came out, they do this every year to like preview the league. And uh, let's let's break this down to mine because I want I want your raw reaction because I know you saw it. John Morant was gotten votes for as a player who forces opposing coaches to make the most adjustments. Um, he got votes but wasn't in the top five. John was voted the most athletic player in the league, the fastest player with the ball. But as people noticed, he was not voted among the leader the uh, players who were the best point guards. And he got a vote, but he was not a uh, top vote getter. What did you think about that, first of all? Yeah, so it's interesting because I'll start with with the good, and then we'll get into the other things. You know, what the good is, he he clearly is respected by the GMs, despite, you know, popular belief that he was disrespected in the the best point guard, um, you know, conversation there. But he was voted, you know, the fastest guy in the entire league. This includes... Players like Russell Westbrook, Ish Smith, De'Aaron Fox. I mean, there are some wait, speedy wait, wait. guys. You said, you said Russell Westbrook as in old Russell Westbrook? As in still fast. That's not his problem. He has a lot of problems with speed it is, isn't one. But you got those guys, you know, who are, who are clearly very fast with the basketball. And then, you know, he was voted, you know, the most athletic player in a league that has Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon, Zion Williamson, Anthony Edwards. So, again, people, I think, were very complimentary of, you know, his his gifts, so to speak. But a lot of people focused more on the fact that he didn't get any votes in, you know, who is the best point guard in the NBA. So the the conversation, I think, received the attention that it did because Steph Curry, I believe, got 80, 82% or so of the votes. 72, yes, 72. Yeah, 72% of the vote. And Trey Young and Chris Paul got the rest. No, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, and Chris Paul. Uh, Luka was second, and then Uh you had – Trey Young get one vote, and then Chris Paul got three. So between Trey Young and Chris Paul got four votes, which led people to focus on the fact that four GMs think that Chris Paul and and uh, I'm blanking on this. Now, Trey Young Trey are Young. better are better than John Morant. And here's my opinion on it, Evan. I I don't think it's that big of a deal because at the end of the day. It would have been different for me if it said GMs rank the top three point guards in the NBA and none of these guys are including John Moran in their top three. For all we know, the 20 plus GMs that selected Luka Doncic and and Steph Curry as their best point guard in the NBA, those same guys could have been the ones that say, oh, I think John Moran is second or I think John is right behind Luka and, and you know, uh, one more guy, maybe, you know, Steph Curry and things like that. Like, they could have had John second and we just didn't know. I mean, for all we know, clearly Steph Curry is the best point guard in the NBA. I mean, that that's not a conversation I'm having with anyone. And then Luca, you know, has done some really good things that has made him, you know, a lot of people feel like he's one of the future faces of the league up there with Ja. Yes, I have some problems with the Trey Young and Chris Paul things, but going back to to why I think this is just not a, a you know a huge deal, I think the fact that 
those same GMs could have had Jacques second. This would have, I think this could have been a, a huger thing, Evan, if it was give me your top three point guards and all of these GMs not have John Moran in their top three. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, I didn't, I almost tweeted something about, like, I see this is the day everyone's about to get mad about this. And I put mad in quotes because I think people were honestly performing on Twitter about this. They were trying to rile people up to see, to see this. And like you, I, I didn't care. Like, Ja was all NBA second team last year. That's the respect he's got. It's not like Ja Morant needs to be beloved by everybody and placed number one in every poll to, you know, have him be appreciated. I think John Morant is appreciated around the league. Like you and I both left Memphis this summer and people talked about John Morant to us, or you could see when you were on the road, you could see John Morant jerseys. Like there's no disrespect for John Morant. That's like egregious at this point. He's in year four. He's exactly where he needs to be. He's one of the top players in the league. And I think anybody looking for that to kind of like motivate him, I'm sure he'll say it motivates, but I'm sure John also doesn't care. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's like, Ooh, people are like, why isn't my guy number one? Well, if you want to get into it, we can explain why Steph Curry is the best point guard in the league. We can explain why Luca and Chris Paul got votes, but to me, it doesn't matter. Ja is certified. He's going to get more certified. He's going to get a lot of votes for the All-Star game this year off of reputation, regardless of what year he has. I think we're at the point now where we should also appreciate the fact that Ja is just in these conversations, period. So with that said, going into year four, you talked about in a story this week, Ja looks more explosive. But I'm more curious about two other things. One, how is John ja making strides? And again, we've only seen one game, but how can John ja make more strides on defense? Because that was an area he clearly struggled in last year. And how can he improve the one thing that I think will take him to another level, which is the mid-range jumper game, which will help him not go to the rim so much or it'll open things up for the rim. How do you see Ja um, making adjustments just based on what you saw in the first pre- the first game that he played in preseason, but also what you want to see from him in year four? Yeah, so we're dealing with a small sample size so far, but I think, you know, there is a willingness and there is an awareness there in both of those areas. I'll explain because let's start with the mid-range shooting, right? The Grizzlies were one of the worst mid-range shooting teams in the entire NBA last season. In the playoffs, I believe they were the worst team actually in the first round of the playoffs. And I remember John Morant didn't take a mid-range jumper you know, against the the Timberwolves. It, it was everything was to the rim or three-point shots, and he struggled if he really struggled mightily from three-point range, which led to his overall struggles in that series against the Timberwolves in the first round. But there were opportunities in that series for him to take mid-range shots, and there were opportunities last season. Now, he finished with the best paint scoring season, uh, arguably, we've ever seen from a point guard. So that kind of canceled out. You know, a lot of people even remembering the fact that he didn't take a lot of mid-range jumpers. But early in the game against the Orlando Magic, I saw John Morant get to the free throw line. And of course, he was open because guys are starting to funnel back towards the rim and things like that. And he pulled up, he missed the jumper and he missed it, you know, rather badly. But I think, again, the willingness was there. And I think that if he continues to take that shot, 
uh, it'll make him a legit triple threat. You know, that that would be the argument when you talk about John Morant as a scorer in comparison to the elite of the elite scorers. You know, the Steph Curry's who finished well around the rim, who finished in the mid range and, you know, deadly from three point range and things like that. That's the next level for him as a scorer. Then you mentioned defensively, right? That's the big question. What can, how can John Morant prove, improve? You know, he's had negative defensive win shares in each of his first, you know, three NBA seasons. Well, from what I saw against the Magic, and again, small sample size, and the Magic don't have the best guards in the NBA, the quickest, the most, you know, elite guys in the NBA. But still, they have first-round picks. They have Cole Anthony. They have Jalen Suggs. Uh, those guys are drafted high uh, for a reason. But I just take one sequence in that game that really stood out to me, Evan. And, and, and Jalen Suggs has the ball, and he's trying to maneuver around screens, and he's going at John Morant one-on-one, and he goes to the left, and John Morant slides his feet. And he's like, nope. And he's shaking his head. Then Jalen Suggs goes to the right and John Morant slides his feet, you know, to the left side right in front of him. And he says, nope, again. And it's it's a confidence level there. It, it, it showed me that, you know, anyone who, who plays the game of basketball will tell you, you know, a big part of defense is willingness. You have to be willing to, to, to slide your feet. You have to be willing to, you know, play with that energy level. You have to be willing to go through those screens when those big 250 pound guys are trying to knock your shoulder in half and things like that. But uh, Ja really displayed the effort. And, and I think that's step one more than anything. So uh, he, I think he's in a good spot defensively. We'll see how it carries over when you play those Western Conference teams, when you have John Wall coming full speed at you and, you know, Reggie Jackson and, and you know, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, and the list goes on. Uh, there will be, you know, a lot more um, opportunities for him to really showcase his growth there. But I think he's off to a solid start, which, as you mentioned, Evan, that's a big part of his growth as a player. Yeah, for sure. And and as you said, I think we all know, you know, from watching the NBA for years that preseason you always take with a grain of salt, like something good could happen in preseason and then it doesn't translate to the regular season. Um, and so I think, yes, we 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 take what John ja Morant did defensively in that Orlando game as a good sign. But let's see what happens in the regular season, because I think that's where. John Morant can grow a lot more. Like imagine someone with his athleticism who can not just get in the passing lanes and get steals, but man up, you know, try to stay in front of this man, you know, take that pride. And I think it helps. Um, but it also is going to help a little bit. It's going to be more needed this year because you don't have Jaron in the middle. Who's your last line of defense that just, you know, blanks out everything. So it's going to be key for, for John to improve as a defender so that he can become, you know, that same terror that he is offensive. Like, like, I don't know if he's, you know, we don't know if he's ever going to become like a Pat Beverly or Drew Holiday type, but if he can be a solid defensive player who can, you know, make an impact, I think that will be really, really fun to see. And I hope that's going to be something that we see as a part of his development in year four. And also with the jumper, like we said, I mean, I remember when Josh started making threes a little bit more and it was like, he just has the confidence. Like, I'm going to take them no matter what. They didn't fall, but he said, I'm going to take them. Last year, he was a better three-point shooter. But I think that mid-range game is where he has to definitely find more comfort with it. In preseason last year, we saw him kind of take a few more of those looks when they were there. Um, I'd like to see him try to, you know, make those go-to moves a little bit more consistent because if he can do that, as everyone says, then he's unstoppable. And I think the Grizzlies know 
they don't want Ja to take so much pounding because he does have a bit of an injury history. You don't you want to protect your franchise on the verge of him signing the richest contract in school history in team history, excuse me. So you definitely wanted to add more just because um it'll save him long term, it'll add more variety to his game. And it's exciting to imagine what he can be as a mid-range shooter. So I'm looking forward to how that looks because if he does that and you throw in obviously Desmond Bain being, you know, better getting to the rim along with his lethal shooting form, this backcourt could actually become, you know, what everyone thinks they could be. He's one of the best in the league. So um, that will be interesting to see. Um, DeMichael, anything else you want to talk about that we uh, can dive into before we wrap up here? Anything that piques your interest? Now, I think you pretty much hit it all, Evan. Uh, but the main thing I, I heard you mention the landing of, of John Morant, which has actually been a big emphasis, not only by the Grizzlies, but by his workout team as well. Uh, Mo Wells, Trey Draper and that whole group have really emphasized over the summer uh, that the, the the landing part and John Morant has focused on that, you know, uh, so he can land properly and not, you know, be so off balance and and things when he's going through the air. And, and we saw some of that, you know, with, with him going off of two feet in the Orlando game and things like that. So I think that's something that could lead to a more durable John Morant. But yeah, just be sure to follow all our coverage, uh, commercialappeal.com. Uh, big things coming ahead, a few more preseason games left. And of course, we're going to have our season preview coverage as well. Definitely. You heard the man, commercialappeal.com. DeMichael will have plenty of coverage. Our columnist, Mark Giannato, will add some more as well. So stay tuned. And as always, thank you all for listening, and we'll be back next week. And so, um, DeMichael, as we record this, um, what are some of the next preseason games coming up? So we got Miami coming up, which I think is, is going to be a big one. We will see how Miami approaches this. But this is a game, you know, the Orlando game, was, was, Orlando is a young team. Miami is battle-tested. Miami has Jimmy Butler. They have Kyle Lowry. They have, you know, Tyler Hero. They have, you know, all these guys who – have been there and and been battle tested. So I think that's going to be a a really big test, quite frankly, because next week you get two preseason games. One is Tuesday against the Orlando Magic. And, yeah, I mean, we saw how that (laughs) just played out. And then Thursday you play the Detroit Pistons. Again, another young, talented team. Uh, I like Jaden Ivey. I like that group. But I think the biggest test in terms of what we will know about this team will come in this game against the Miami Heat. And also next week, uh, those games are Tuesdays and Thursdays. So not really expecting uh, the full Grizzlies roster to be available in both of those games. Yeah, if I was the bet man, I would probably say that last preseason game, do not be surprised if it's rookies and young players. Like, I do not expect to see John Morant and Bane and a few of those guys against Detroit uh, next week. I imagine they will be getting a nice, good rest before the season opener October 19th, which will be on ESPN against the Knicks here at FedEx Forum. So we're getting closer. We're getting closer. So, yeah, for DeMichael, I am Evan Barnes. Enjoy. Check out commercialappeal.com and uh, NBA basketball is here, y'all. The Grizzlies Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.